So, Corbin, on the way here, okay, I had asked you, hey, friend, do you want a beverage? Yeah, and I actually answered you. You did, which is rare because, you know. And I noticed that I didn't get the beverage. I didn't have it. It was a chocolate milkshake, I requested. Chocolate milkshake. I went to McDonald's. Yeah. And I asked, hey, can I have a chocolate milkshake? And they said no. They said, no, you cannot. They said, no. It's not working. Hmm. So I said, okay. I said, would it be fair? I got my food. I said, would it be fair to go and just stop? I said, no, I'm going to try one more place. I went across the street to Wendy's. Chocolate Frosties, right? Okay. Big sign on the front. Chocolate Frosty machine's not working. Really? Really. I think it's an epidemic. I think you're never going to get a chocolate milkshake again. Did you try another McDonald's? All of them. You went to all of them? All of them, and none of them had it. I think it's something you need to come to terms with. Maybe it won't be, um, but maybe it will be. Would you, I guess, would, I know it'll hurt you because you're such a fan. Yeah. But would you be willing to give up all of your chocolate milkshakes uh, if, let's say, like the Big Bang Theory never existed? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I thought it is. I, yeah, yes. Welcome to Radical Apathy, the podcast where two halfwits set out to solve all the world's problems with pop culture references and a lackadaisical attitude. Why not? It's worked so far. Welcome, everybody, to Radical Apathy. My name is Tanner. I'm Corbin. That is Corbin. I think I said Radical Apathy. I don't know what you said. Radical Apathy is the name of the show. And today we are going to get... A very exciting look into the world of the restaurateur and the car dealer tour, and what else? I'm really excited to ask some of these questions. Yeah, I've been planning on these for quite a while. Yeah, we got a we got a great guest. Uh, we're going to learn about their journey, and uh, all the while asking ourselves, why do we care? Why do we care? We shouldn't. No. So, uh, hello, guest. Well, and hello to you, uh, guest. You are coming in from a remote. Uh, session, so we appreciate all of the the time uh, that you had to wait while we puttered around trying to figure our lives out, linking it in. Nope, complete and utter entertainment, both of you. <laughs> I, I believe you. Uh, introduce introduce yourself for, uh, for our audience here, sir. My name is Clay, and that's all I'm allowed to say. <laughs> it is. We are like to be anonymous as well. So, uh, Clay, we're going to get into your background a little bit later. We do some first things. First, we just kind of ramble a little bit. Of what about happened this week? Um. Tanner, so I, you can listen to this story too, Clay. So I was, you know how you sit at the traffic lights? Yeah. And you, they, someone's in front of you and you're second in line at the traffic lights. And the lights turns green and then the car just stays there. Okay. You know That's happened to everybody, right? And you honk the horn and you tell them get the hell out of the way. Yeah. So what happens, and this has happened to me the other day, when the, uh, the car is a police officer. What's what do you do? I'll tell you, you what I did. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can. I, I'm sure you, you've. I'm sure you did something, and I'm sure there's going to be some type of newspaper article about it. But go ahead. Well, here's the thing: Do you honk? Do you not honk? Like, do you wait patiently for them to just clue in, or do you just lay it in and and get them to move? I would. I would. Mm. I would probably wait, assuming that they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I laid into it. I lean right into it. You get no special treatment from me and honked them right out of the way, which I think you deserved. Because it was, I wait, I, first off, I guess I waited first and then leaned into it. 
Like, how, he, what was the timeline? How long did you actually wait there, Corbin? You get what ten seconds. That? You get ten seconds before I lay ten into it. Ten solid seconds. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, and and what happened? Well, he moved. Oh, that was it. Yeah, he can't. Oh, he can't turn around and pull me over for something that because was he's extremely in front of me. anticlimactic. It, it really was. Well, wasn't it? I, I wanted there was going to be a story here. I wanted your opinion on what you, what do you guys think you should do? Could 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 they not pull you over with a front pullover? Why why would you take the trouble to do that just for honking at you? Well, I mean, there's I'm better. Sure some that are going to be upset by some terrible sports fan behind them just honking. Drive better. Yeah, that's be, fair. Be better. That's fair. All right, that's just what I had on my mind today. Um, hey, Corbin, why do you care? I don't. I, think, I don't. I don't because I <laughs> I honked the horn and he moved and I'm good now. Clayton, how long would you have waited? You know what? I probably would have sat there for a very long time, more for the entertainment value, just to see how long this process was going to go. I, I would have played that game out to the fullest extent. I agree. I agree. I think I think just to see if now are they doing something that you know are they seeing something secret that you kind of want to watch something unfold? Are they going to yeah, realize what's happening next? Yeah. Are they going to realize they're an idiot and then go? You don't think they're going to realize they're an idiot once I honk at them? Well, I mean, they might just ignore you. I don't know. They didn't though. <laughs> they didn't. I li- and you know what? My new car has a nice horn on it too. Like it's it 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 speaks. So that was good. I felt good about it. I'm glad. I I I hope it was someone I know. Clayton. See, and that's the other thing though too, right? And uh, being as anonymous as we are, I would like to stay completely out of all radar of all of the peace officers out there that can, in turn turn around or get on their radio and call another car and say, Hey, be aware of the honker car with said ah. license plate. The <laughs> honker? More the than honker. There's always more than one. Watch out for the honker. He offended me. And all of a sudden within five seconds, now you've got another car rolling up behind you and then it's cherries on <laughs> tickets in your lap. Nah. There's 300. Yeah, you don't, you don't know when it's coming. Nah, fuck that guy. I said it. Well, Clayton, <laughs> okay. Clayton I promise. I promise the questions probably get better than that one yeah no i got good ones today i'm really happy no, 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 that was a good story to start off with i was actually I mean, quite impressed that's uh, well, it's got to be top 20 of your guys's podcast so far well yeah i mean he is right yeah, no, yeah. small sample size though um corbin, corbin last time we were here yeah uh I did some homework i gave you homework yeah yeah your homework so clayton this is gonna be incredibly hard to do but clayton, okay. i'm sure you're a long time listener of the show um, long, long. Time. All you know for the dozens and dozens of years we've been doing this. So uh, at the end of every show, we go back and forth giving each other homework, and right. the other one has to follow through. Uh, mine one last week wasn't great, and the one I gave Corbin I think was really good. <laughs> you didn't do the homework right, though. Well, okay. Well, I mean that's that's up for mm-hmm. debate. Anyway, moving forward. Okay. You were you were given homework. So yeah. what was it? And walk us through it. The homework I was given is I have to teach you briefly a, a tabletop game, and I've got just the one. Okay. So we are all Star Wars fans here. This is going to be a little bit laborious, Clay. Bear with me. So we're all Star Wars fans here. Yes. Yes. Clay, yes. I've been to Star Wars movies with you. Um, we went to. Did we both go to Jedi and and uh, Sky, Rise of Skywalker? To, did we go to both all those? Three. Did we? And we went to all three of the previous ones. We've been to a lot of movies. Yeah, that's fair. Like when you say previous ones, you're talking about the original, uh, the the prequels. I don't think the we prequels? went to the prequels. No, and, we never and went then to the prequels. The sequels? Together. Didn't we go to the prequels? No, that was before our time. Oh, we yeah. hit all the Marvels then. 
Yeah, we do a lot. I'm just, I'm just yeah. shooting holes to your, your backstory already, I tell you. <laughs> I don't think you two even know each other. Actually, we went and saw a new hole back in 1979. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, oh, okay. that's how old we are. Uh, 77. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I, uh, okay, so it's called X-Wing, Star Wars X-Wing. Okay. okay. Yeah. And it's got these miniature to scale, 127th scale uh, Star Wars canon spaceships. Okay? Yeah. And Tanner can see them right now. Clay can see them right now, but nobody else can see them. So, they're this is uh, this is Dengar's Punisher one, right? Okay. Dengar was a bounty hunter who Dengar wore toilet paper. A, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He wore toilet paper, looked like a mummy. Now, just just for our audience, yeah. What what Corbin is holding is a three inch piece of plastic shaped like a Star Wars ship. It is on a little tiny boon of of, of plastic material, kind of keeping it aloft. So it kind of sits above its platform by about an inch. Um, I mean, it looks, it's, it's well painted. Did you paint them? Fuck no. Okay. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. No. Okay. So each pilot has stat values to their, to their ship. Mm-hmm. So there's a pilot skill number between one and six. Okay. Yeah. Then an attack value, a defense value, hull and shields. Okay. Okay. The idea is you want to shoot your other guys' ships to get through their shields and then through their hull. If their hull gets destroyed, the ship's destroyed. You gain the points. Game over. Okay. Okay? So each ship is worth a certain amount of points, and you build up to like 200 points per team. Okay. Okay. And that's what you bring to the table. Okay. So you have have a a limited amount of resources to choose from. So you could buy a ship that's like 150 points, or you can buy 200 ships worth one point. That kind of thing? Yeah. Depending on what kind of ship you want. Okay. Okay. So long story short... It's mostly about the pilot skill, okay? So the way you move in this, you have actual templates. So like a five forward, a four forward, a three forward, and a one forward, then like curves, and then right hard angles. Mm -hmm. And then you can do a flip, like a turnaround. Okay, Okay? like a barrel roll? Yeah, so you have a dial, and you secretly put in your move, and you place it down for each ship, okay? And then based on your pilot skill, okay, the lowest pilot skills move first okay so the lowest pilot skill let's say it's a one flips over their dial you take the template and you move your ship on the space map okay okay and that goes all the way up into the highest pilot skill okay so han goes last well see hear me out yeah okay hear me out all right right. he flies last okay then once everyone's moved it comes to the shooting round and in the shooting round highest pilot skill shoots first Mm. So Han always shoots, shoots first. first. Exactly. Okay, right? Does that make sense? <laughs> right? right? Clayton? Yeah, Clever. he gets it. Clever. Yeah. Okay. So you see on this ship, there's what's called a firing arc. So it's like just a, a nice 45-degree arc coming out of the front of the ship. And if your enemy's ship is in your firing arc, you can shoot at it. Okay. Simple as that. Rolling dice. Hits. How many hits did you get? Yep. You roll defense dice. How many shields did they get? You you take the the offset number and that's how many hits you lay into them, and you roll through, and you roll through, and that's it. And and last last person standing wins. Last person standing wins. And how long does one of these games take? Well, the setup is the pain in the ass. You got to bring out the mat. You got to bring out your little tokens because there's always tokens and stuff. Yeah. And then you got the ships, and then so setting everything up takes a lot more longer than the actual game itself. So I'll say both a game like an hour and twenty minutes. Go ahead. So isn't that classic tabletop in general is the actual setup whether you're playing dungeons and dragons whether you're playing any kind of strategic tabletop game whatsoever it's the setup yeah yeah Yeah. it's all about the setup 
because the better you set up, the the better this, this how you know how smooth the game goes, right? True. So, so that's the gist of the game, and I wanted to make it very simple because it would be a lengthy conversation. No, that's fair. And how many people can play a match? So standard is two people, but I've played in like big, big ones before. What's how many is in a big one? I played like six people before. Oh, and yeah. like you're all going in the same table. So two sides. So oh, and also you can play in in Star Wars X Wing. You can play as the Imperial. Good. Yeah. Empire, or whatever. Yeah, they did nothing wrong. The rebels. Yeah. Or scum and villainy. Oh, which was my favorite to play. That's, that is exciting. And their ships do like funky. So sometimes the pilots have abilities on top of everything, so they like do a little extra thing that you pay an extra point value for. Mm-hmm. And so they always do something scummy to, to your opponent that kind of throws them off their game plan. Oh, what's uh, what's toilet paper Dengar's scummy thing he does? Uh, when he attacks and it's in his firing arc. So, so he's got a three. He's got a turret on his ship, so he can go everywhere okay. around him. Yeah. But if you're in his firing arc, the front one, then he can make an extra attack. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, he's super strong, and he's Click. actually. This is not his. This is actually not Dengar right here, but because Dengar is also a pilot skill nine. And then the difference between the ships is some ships can do some moves, and some ships can't do some moves. This <laughs> ship right here, which you can't see, guys. This one, Clay. It goes Yo. very slow, very slow moves, very h- slow turns. Looks like this a, looks like a very, drop ship very, with solar panels. Yeah, this this is Forlom and 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 uh, what's the other guy? Forlom and what's his nuts? Oh, Zuckus. Zuckus. Zuckus's ship, and this is a Dengar ship, and so this one is very nimble and can go fast and turn really fast and stuff. So it depends on what you're playing. Okay, how's that, Clayton? Did I do a good job? Well, uh, Clayton, have you played this game before? No. No. Would you? Thanks for asking yeah, for me, just uh, in case, Cl- Clayton. Would would you want to now that you've you've read about it or, or heard about it? Sorry. <laughs> now that I've I've actually seen a nice little demonstration as well, unlike the uh, the listeners that we have on the podcast. But um, I could see us breaking open a bottle of bourbon, oh, yeah. sitting down and yeah. having one heck of a good time on that game. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, go ahead and, and this, sponsor us Star Wars Sex Wing. Yeah, sponsor um, us. And this table you're sitting at, yeah. the podcast was actually built. Specifically to play Star Wars X-Wing. Really? It is, yeah. It's a nice It is a nice gaming table? Is yeah, that what it's a gaming it? table, yeah. Well, I tell you, we've just been really visual the first 10 minutes here. Yeah. And hey, the everybody. listeners are bored as shit. You know, it looks great from here, guys. Yeah. It looks really, really nice. So, <laughs> thank Corbin, uh, you know what? I'm going to say that is homework done. Yes. I, I feel like I learned something, so mm-hmm. thank you. No problem. And you've got homework for me now? No. For, at the end of the show, you're going to tell me about homework? Do, do I? Yeah, because I yeah. kind of want you just to finish the homework I gave you last week that you didn't okay, finish. Okay, well, it, it's been because that's what I want. I mean, we do, we don't put so much rules on, but it's, All right, it's well, been I'm done. gonna have to make it up as we go. That's uh, not a change. So that is gonna lead us into okay, our guest or the top five, top five, top five, top five. Because everyone loves lists, Clayton. We always do a top five. It's all about the list. Okay, top five today. Uh, it's super exciting. So when I moved into my current home, I was cleaning out the basement. Okay. And in the small, there's like a small double closet in the basement where there's the main closet. And there's like another little tiny door, like a little Harry Potter door. Okay. Uh, open it up. That's where your house elf lives? Right. Yeah. Except when, as soon as I opened it up for the first time, there was a two-foot doll in a tuxedo standing there. Have you ever looked in this door before? This was the first time I ever looked in it. That's fucking terrifying. It was horrifyingly scary. Okay. It, sorry, Tanner. I've got to stop you. Yeah, please do. So you've moved into said place. Correct. So this is all brand new. You all open new. the door because you're cleaning out the remains of the previous 
owner's stuff, correct? No, the closet itself was completely empty, ready to go. I just, there's another door in the closet, and I was like, oh, a little fucking Narnia door. Cool. Oh. But. Oh, I see. I, I mean, in reality, I think the previous homeowner just wanted a gaff. That's. And, and left it, which was, it was horrifying. Yeah, horrifying. So. And they won. They did. They absolutely did. So I, that got me thinking, what are the top five scariest slash weirdest things found in basements? And so that's what I brought today. Oh, man. You know what? I can actually show you this, but again, nobody will be able to see it. Yeah. Let's, we can't. We got to stop doing that. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't work. <laughs> stop. It doesn't work not a visual format. aid. Yeah. Um, so number five. Number five. And the, the, the most interesting ones I could pull out were from Factinate. Uh, Rachel Siegel on Factinate uh, wrote these. So I'm just reading Rachel's words, but they're okay. pretty interesting. So okay. the first number, number five was... Uh, Officers from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation had no idea what was in store for them when they made a house call in 2017. The officers found seven live sharks in the home's basement-made pool. Three more of the sharks in the pool were dead. That's sad. And at his trial, the homeowner Joshua Sanguine, Sanguine? sounds made up, admitted that he trafficked and sold sandbar sharks, which are a protected species. The sharks were uh, seized and are now living better lives in the New York Aquarium. Huh. Yeah. That'd be pretty scary to see sharks in a basement. Yeah. And there's a giant homemade pool of sharks. The only time I've seen that is in Resident Evil. There are sharks in Resident Evil. Yeah. Do you remember that, Clay? You played Resident Evil the first one or are you too scared? Okay. Oh, I got through it too. Yeah. That shark just showed up. That was scary. That was scary. So number five, sharks sharks in the basement. Number four. Yeah. In 2009, after purchasing a home in Rexburg, Ohio, a couple began finding some unwelcome visitors in their backyard, specifically a lot of snakes. As if it wasn't bad enough, they also heard noises in the walls and under the floors as they slept. So wanting to investigate, they removed much of the panel siding within their basement, and suddenly... Hundreds and hundreds of snakes came pouring from the now open wall from the dug up earth uh, and all rolled down into the house itself. Yeah. Fun fact, little bonus fact, the couple also finally realized why their water has had an onion-like taste oh, for the last six oh, months before oh, this. Dude. Because this, there was a giant, like, thousands nest of snakes. Uh, they were drinking snake water they were, the whole Yeah, time. snake musk, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, drinking and bathing in it. That's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. It I don't been, like that either. Been. So it would have cost $100,000 to remove the snakes and rebuild the damage that was done to the pipes and the house and everything. So uh, not wanting to play that in, they filed for bankruptcy and moved out. Holy shit. Snakes. Yeah. That's just awful. Sharks and snakes. That's number four. That's the fourth one. That's the fourth All one. All right. All right. Go ahead with three. All right. Clayton, you're still with us? You're okay? Absolutely. Okay. A little petrified over here. You know, Indiana Jones style. I'm not a big, oh, big fan of snakes. Not a snake guy, eh? Not even a little bit. Right? What would scare you more, snakes or sharks? Oh, that's a great question. You can't Thank get you. me in the ocean, so I have no problem with sharks. I'm staying on the land. Snakes well, on a plane? Or, or, yeah. yeah. Snakes go anywhere. Yeah. Number three. Uh... When a group of Ohio State University students moved into a house together, they thought they were living the dream of a cheap home going to school. But uh, the house was kind of odd. When they came home, they things would be moved. 
They would have strange smells. Appliances would be turned on, even though all the roommates have insisted they never touch them. So, of course, young people from Ohio assumed, you know, as anyone would, ghosts. Because, of course, it would be ghosts. Yeah, ghosts. Right? You have ghosts uh, roommates in there. Uh, No, it turns out that there was a secret locker in the basement that was... uh, hit a secret room in said basement where someone had been livering. Uh, livering? Oh, li- my livering. God. Uh, they were a liverer mm. who had been livering in the house uh, since they were supposedly kicked out. So for over a year, a gentleman by the name of Jeremy, which is creepy for some reason, yeah, had been hiding in the basement and waiting for people to go to sleep. He'd go up and eat their food and touch their stuff and go back down and hide in his secret room when they were up and about. Damn. Yeah. Damn, Jeremy. Yeah. Free, it, it, I don't know. It's it's worse that his name is Jeremy for some reason. Yeah, seems like more it. scary. Yeah. yeah, Jeremy is a scary name. Jeremy's a scary name. What's what's that uh, Korean horror movie that came out two years ago? Parasite. That's the one. Yeah, That's I haven't exactly seen that one. I Don't tell me what it's about. Okay, I haven't seen that oh, one. Oh, I mean, it's flowers and rainbows and I'm unicorns. Watch this now. I'm gonna watch it now. I'm sorry, we talked about it before on this podcast. Did we? Yeah, yeah. I think we did with that director. But that will take us to number two, uh, which is all about Benjamin Franklin. Okay. So, uh, was Benjamin Franklin a serial killer? Yes. Clayton? We've got to go with yes on this because okay. it's just way better. Two yeses. Yeah. So, this was quite the question on everyone's lips in 1998, where conservationists were hard at work in Franklin's old London home when they uncovered a mass grave with over 1,200 human and animal skeletal remains buried in the basement. 1,200? 1,200. How big's this house? Ah, he's a rich dude, right? I guess. So even creepier, the remains date back to when Benjamin Franklin lived in the home. So why did Ben Franklin, was he stockpiling or, or burying human bodies and animal remains? Okay, that's now, creepy. Now, was this Ben's original home? His original London home. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Now, was he the first owner of said home? Uh, they, I don't believe he was the first owner, but uh, the majority of the bodies were all dated to the time when he lived there. Gotcha. Yeah, is how they did it. So most people said, in, like I said, in the late 90s that he was a serial killer, and it kind of started off a whole thing. But historians believed that during this time, Franklin uh, was allowing his friend William Hewson to use the home as a secret anatomy school. Because studying bodies was a very big controversy back then. Oh. So he would uh, take in dead bodies given to him, and he would set up a surgical suite in his basement and allow his doctor friend, William Houston to perform autopsies and training new doctors how to do autopsies on bodies in secret because they weren't allowed to, and then they would just bury the bodies when they were done. Was he in the Whitechapel area during that time? I was he. I don't think. I think it's. I think it was a little bit before the Whitechapel times. Okay, Whitechapel. For those who don't know, is the Jack the Ripper. Five points. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll touch on him. We haven't gone full murder podcast yet. No, we haven't. One day. Okay. One day we'll get there. We work hard enough. And number one uh, of Tanner's top five scary things found in the basement uh, was well, it was a, it was a normal day on Turkey's Anatolian coast. In the year was 1963. The sky was blue, and a regular homeowner was about to make a phenomenal discovery. After knocking down a wall in his house, he wanted to expand. He found a hidden room, which in and of itself is uh, exciting. And yet, from that hidden room, he found another. And another, mm-hmm. and then another. And what he inadvertently discovered was an entire underground city 
which has now been since called Derenkuyu. It is one of the uh, strangest and most impressive archaeological finds of the 20th century. It's an ancient city believed to have been home to the Hittites and formed by a vast network of underground tunnels. At least eight levels have now been excavated, and they're still not at the bottom of them. So in the case of uh, life underground, sounds sad. They were they had kitchens and livestock facilities and washrooms and even running water from an underground river. That is pretty creepy. Yeah. I think your doll's still the creepy, creepiest one of all the I th- things yeah. you well, said. I, the snakes would be a lot. Snakes would be a bit, yeah. I'm not super scared of snakes, but it would be a lot if a wall of a thousand snakes broke down and all their but pee water. But supernatural dolls, man. That's just creepy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you know what I did with the doll? What's that? Don't. Well, if you haven't found it yet, I won't tell you. Okay. Okay. So my grandma, <laughs> God bless her, yeah. gave all of her grandkids' wives... And granddaughters, a doll for Christmas one year, and it's a like China doll, very featured, and it's in this glass case, like it's Annabelle to a T. Creepy. It's and so I still got it in the other room over there, and so sometimes I'll just put it out in the basement uh, bathroom here, and then my son will go in there and turn on the light and take the shit gets scared out of him all the time because it's the creepiest doll ever. <laughs> All right, good top five. Clayton, do you have any scary dolls in your home? No, absolutely no scary dolls in my home, but I do want Corbin to put up a video camera the next time you do that. <laughs> I need reaction video. Yeah, that would be fine. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to post that. I'm gonna post that. Yeah. That's going to be good. Radical apathy scaring children. That's, that's what comes next. <laughs> it's allowed. There are kids. Closer and closer to the horror podcast we come. All right. We're going to get into our guest's uh, background here. So, Clayton, we're going to talk, touch on two of your backgrounds, which I'm really interested to talk about. The first one is uh, the restaurateur type background. <clears throat> um, so, first off, you are a – to tell them what your current position is, uh, but you don't have to give names or anything. Like, Fair enough. I am a general manager at a, a restaurant here in the city that I live in. Um, the city that I'm in, just for listeners' knowledge, is a million people. So it's a, a little bigger than your average town. So it's there's a lot of opportunities, lots of options around. Okay, and so what's, let's just start right out of the gate because – we, we always hear a manager. I want to speak to your manager. Yeah, manager. What is... <laughs> you said that before, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> GM versus manager, what's the difference? <clears throat> what's the difference between a general manager and the uh, traditional manager? Yeah. Your general manager is going to run your day-to-day operations. They're going to be there from 9 to 5. They're going to do all your ordering. They're going to do all of the things that are necessary to keep the building successfully running your managers that are on your nights traditionally when you have said guest raising his fist in the air ready to yell at the top of his lungs because his steak took an extra minute and a half then that's traditionally going to happen at night yeah so when you've got a general manager taking care of the day-to-day operations they're going to have a couple of managers underneath to help facilitate the night service Okay. Okay. So you're sense. you're the daytime guy who you're the big boss who runs the managers who run the the floor basically. Correct. Okay. So give us just a journey of your kind of journey through the restaurant industry. In, in industry, how did you start? How'd you get there? How'd you get to where you are now? Started out 16 years old washing dishes. It was the the classic story. I, I'm that guy that was in the back, 16 years old washing dishes. 
And then, of course, you have all the pretty waitresses walking through, and then you go to the manager and say, I don't want to wash dishes anymore. I want to be where they are. They said, it's okay, Clay. You can you can work online first. So then you start working in the kitchen, and then you start learning all of that. A couple of years later, I'd moved to another city in order to uh, play football, and this was my break out of the kitchen and into the front of the house. Mm-hmm. So I go into this new restaurant, and I tell the general manager at the time, I'm here playing football. He goes, perfect. I've got the exact job for you. You're now running food up and down the stairs. So for one full summer. <laughs> it feels like a demotion. Summer, it feels like a demotion. Oh, it was, you know what? My legs were like tree trunks at the end of that summer. I was, and we're talking like those big full trays of food that you have to put on your shoulder. Oh, going wow. up and down the stairs in plus 40 weather trying to dodge all of these tourists and all these guests and everybody else that are rolling through there. But it was such an exhilarating thing because how busy everything is. And it's such an addiction at that point where you're excited and running. And then by the end of the night, you're exhausted, but you're like, wow, that was a great shift as time progressed. And then I started serving and then bartending And after that, I moved over to the management side and was managing for a few years. Then I went to school and then I took a hiatus because I got married and had a kid and I quote unquote retired from the service industry. Mm. And now you're back. And obviously that takes (laughs) you back. Well, and and now I'm back. So after, yeah, that retirement took me to the the other industry you're going to talk about. And I did that for 10 years. And then after the divorce, I went straight back into the industry. Hmm. So, question then for you, Clayton. Of course. Why, why the fuck am I boxing up my own leftovers? Yeah, I want to know the answer to this. <laughs> Wouldn't you rather know what's going into that box than me taking your plate to the back, boxing it up myself, and then all of a sudden you get home and this is not what you've eaten? The amount of times that people have said, I had more than this on my plate. But that's just bullshit, right? That's just people well, fucking be. But bullshit. you have to. You've got to deal with the one percent, because that one percent is the loudest. So sadly, the other ninety nine percent are stuck with boxing up their own food. Wait, wait a minute. Now, how come? How come they can't come to my table and box it up in front of me? Yeah, do like a little Benny Hanna. Yeah, thing. like a like a production. You know what? We do a whole lot of production in that restaurant. If that's one of the things that you want to put on the list of things that I have to do. <laughs> okay. So speaking to what you said earlier, do we only hire pretty waitresses? Is that still a thing? You know what? I'll hire anybody that's a diamond in the rough. And by saying that, they've got to be good with people. They need to know how to have a conversation and they need to be intelligent. And they need to be pretty. Well, you know what? It doesn't <laughs> suck if you're not. <laughs> That's why we're all on podcasts. <laughs> Definitely not pretty here. The face for podcasts, right? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Tell me about it. Oh man. Hey, um, wh- what is the markup on booze? Don't lie to me. Come on. So you, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have like a, a dozen people getting the secret. This here. is not a secret, Tanner to Corbin. You go into a restaurant, you have a glass of wine. It's fifteen dollars. Yeah. You know the label of the wine that you ordered. Then you walk into the liquor store the next day, and that same bottle is $15. I'll let you do the math. All right. Hold on. Hold on. 
Okay. Okay, so sidebar. One okay, one bottle. How many how many cups? <laughs> how many cups are in a you, bottle? I think you can get three solid glasses out of a bottle. Three cups. Maybe there's four. There's twenty. There's twenty four ounces in a seven hundred fifty milliliter bottle. Okay. Traditionally, it's a six ounce glass. That's four glasses of wine in a bottle. Okay, so I got a side question. This is a side question before we go back to the math. Mm-hmm. You just said twenty four ounces just now. Okay, why when everyone was, and I never did this, I will stand by my grave, I've never done this in my life. Why does everyone say, I want a 2-4 of this, or a 2 why did you say 24, you lazy fuck? Just say 24. I want a 2-4 of this, or I want a 40 of this. 40 makes sense, but then yeah. you say 2-4, that makes no sense. Well, I think, I think a 2-4 is also a flat. Right of, it of, is a flat. No, yeah. say twenty four. As soon as I hear two four, I think of a flat. Yeah, I thought flat. Like, There's twenty four in a two four. Is that correct? Y- yeah. Okay. So again, I, <laughs> I I stand by my statement. Why aren't we saying twenty four? Well, I think I don't know. Is that more of a Canadian thing, Clay? Dude, that's a great question, and that could be coming down from the metrics, of even measurements from the states to Canada. There's there's so many different differences and it's even there it's called a two six not a two four. Oh, that's right. two six right yeah that's right that's, yeah two that's six. what your two four was throwing me son off son of a bitch a, you're right i, I you were a flat i don't like to call it a two six though i've never done that okay back to the regular questions oh, okay. math is, what drink should i order where i'm getting the most bang for my buck <laughs> i love that it's all booze questions for you because so you're far. on this bourbon kick right now yeah, yeah. if you're ordering an old-fashioned anything you get two ounces out of you're going to be spending above ten dollars if you want more bang for your buck you're going to be the happy hour master. That means go to every single happy hour because that's the only time you're going to get any bang for your buck whatsoever. Interesting. The rest of the time, you're stuck. Um, if you look at a martini, you're going to get a martini, two ounces mm-hmm. instantly, mm-hmm. but you're still paying over $10. If you're going to get a regular cocktail, single ounce, you're going to be paying between 9 and $10. So if you can get a two-ounce drink for that average price, that's the one you want to hit up. Is there, and I, I might ask this a couple of times as we go on, is there a secret cabal of restaurateurs where you guys all agree on what the price you're going to charge for a glass of wine is going to be? Is it is it just haphazard? Are you just do, doing your thing and then someone's like, ah, shit, old Clay's charging way is less. Is like gas prices where you're like, oh, they're charging this. We got to yeah. up our prices. Like, yeah, how does it, is there, is there any of that? absolutely all the market. And, and it goes up year upon year upon year. And it comes from the prices of the bottles. I did my liquor order the other day. And every week I do my order, there's an increase in price on the bottles. And it may be a minute amount. This one bottle I'm talking about was only $0.08. Cents. But if they're doing that every single week, that keeps going up. In time, head off sees us, and then head off will set the prices and say, okay, this price of booze, whether it's a bottle of tequila, a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of wine, has gone up. X amount of dollars in the last six months. We now have to add 50 cents to this glass of whatever you're drinking. So every other restaurant is dealing with that same amount. So if you are in a circuit of restaurants, so if you're in the casual dining area or if you're in the high-end dining area, you've already got your prices set because you know what the competition is doing and you've been knowing that for decades. So you're just raising your prices by what the bottle and what the market has set for you. So whatever you buy your bottle of liquor for, that's going to be setting the price, which is why we see prices of all of our food and all of our booze going up over the last six months to three years because of the increase of prices of lettuce, of bread, of wine. 
it happens because it's the people and the farmers, it's the, the grapes and the harvesting, everything else is going up as well. So that in turn, the prices on your menus are going up. So there is no secret cabal of restaurateurs. There is no secret cabal. Would not you, that I know of. Maybe would you, would you, would you, would you tell me, level. would you tell me if there was? Tanner, I would not tell you if I yeah, you would. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a society of secrets. Yeah, I know. No, no, it's not a secret society. It's a society it's of secrets. secrets. Hey, do you guys recycle? <laughs> yes. Who does? Absolutely. Who takes the recycling back? Uh, we've got a company that comes in and takes all of our recycling. So they actually come in and take all of our bottles. Really? Interesting. Do you guys get a cut yeah. of that? Do you get a cut or you have to pay a cut Very, to very small cut. Yeah. So basically we pay for them just to take our bottles. If we were to do that, the amount of bottles that would have to get shipped from all of the restaurants is just be enormous. So you'd have to hire one person to do that in order to reap the benefits. Well, then you're paying that person, and then where's that money going anyway? So we pay a company that uh, comes in and takes all of our bottles. Hmm. I've always wondered that. Yeah, that would be good. Maybe you and I should start a, a bottle drive business. A, bottle, a restaurant bottle business. Yeah. Ooh. God. Just, no, we're so smart. Holy shit. Okay, podcast is over. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, I, I, you know, Clay, we just met, but I'm, I'm very uh, well-traveled. I'm, I'm a worldly fellow. I've been to other provinces. Um, but one of the, one of the things I noticed uh, traveling outside the country, uh, outside of North America is uh, the tipless culture where we have, sure. we're obviously tips here and that's a big part of the push for a service industry, but everywhere else it is not. So on one hand, we see an increase from the 15% to 25% for the gener- for the regular tip to people. But on people the other are tipping hand, 25%? Yeah. But on Holy the other shit. hand, we're seeing, I love that you don't know. And then on the other hand, it's uh, <laughs> you're seeing some places are going tipless. So is is tipless the future of the service industry, or is there always going to be tips in North America? There's always going to be tips because the culture's already been set that way. And the people that have tried to go tipless, there's not very many, and not people, not a lot of restaurants are jumping onto that bandwagon at all. I know that having tips rolling in helps the restaurateur keep labor and percentages down that way too. So it's very competitive. If you've got a chef trying to look for a job out there, they're going to be looking for a dollar per hour set at a rate of their skills. So if they're a sous chef, then they've got a certain level that they can get at for a dollar per hour. The tips that come in also help pay that wage. Because the server that receives said tips, a percentage of those tips go out to the support staff, the hostesses, the bussers, the dishwashers, all of the chefs, the management crew. So there's a percentage of every single tip coming from the waitress, coming from the guest that goes out to the whole restaurant. So in essence, when you're paying for your food, that's one thing. But then when you're tipping you're helping out pay for the staff that's in that establishment. Hmm. So it is here to stay. It is because then you'd have restaurants that have to pay more for wages because then the tips are going to be gone. And if you've got people that are paying more for wages, you're going to see a lot more restaurants shut down too. So with the changes of tips, what is, what is a reasonable in, in your mind, what is a reasonable tip for good service? 
and mediocre service. I want to know both. What's good for I, what? you know what? I'm very, very bad to ask because I will never tip under twenty percent. I don't care how bad the service is. That's you don't care how bad the service wow, is. Really? I've been in the industry for thirty years. I understand where that money goes. I understand how it gets divvied up. Yeah. And I understand that those people may have a mortgage to pay, have kids to feed. And that's part of their living wage. And the chefs are, 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 and let's say everyone who's not the front of line waitress is counting on that person to give good service. Absolutely. Because those tips funnel down to everybody else in the business. Which is why when you have a good restaurateur, you're going to have damn good servers. Because when you look at it, the restaurant, you can get a burger anywhere, Corbin. Tanner, you can go and get a pizza anywhere. But you're coming in for the service that is. And if you've got good management, good training, and a good culture, you're going to have good people serving you. And if you've got good people serving you, you will always get good service. Knowing what you know over, like, how, like ballpark it, how many different restaurants have you worked for? I've worked for one company for 30 years. Okay. And in that company, six different of those restaurants knowing what you and know then, now oh sorry about that go ahead yeah. no, i was gonna say and then this is the first one outside of said company okay oh. so knowing what you know now about restaurants would you eat at a denny's at three in the morning <laughs> now here's a second question to help me answer said question or right, is this just off of the las vegas strip when we've already been pounding back a bunch of we'll get to vegas at the table we'll get to vegas later sir We'll get to Vegas later. We're going to Vegas in a week. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. know. We're gonna you're gonna do a special on site presentation for the show, aren't you? Yeah. Now all, that I, now all that I said that. that. All yeah. of that. No, let's all just say let's just <laughs> let's just say you came back from a long a long drive uh planting trees uh because you're a good person, uh and you came back late and that's all that there is. Like you I'm, know what? I don't eat out that late. I don't eat after nine o'clock at night. I don't so I, it's a tough decision, man, because I don't go out to restaurants. Would you rather have Seven Eleven nachos, knowing exactly what you're getting, kind of, or that or that three AM Denny's, not knowing who the fuck is back there? So basically, I'm pumping the nacho cheese myself. Yeah. Or I'm rolling the dice because you don't know what's in the back. You don't However, know. However. When you're at a Denny's, you've got some hardworking people that are there at three in the morning. Yeah, for those sure. are the people that are grinding it out. It's probably their third job, and they're going from place to place to place just to make sure that they're paying their way in this world. You know, you're so, so positive. I, I trust a lot of people in the restaurant business as long as it's clean when I walk in. If I see anything that shows me sideways, then their kitchen may not be as clean. So if you walk in a restaurant, you want to know how clean their kitchen is, yeah. just do a quick walk through, run to the bathroom, check out how everything is taken care of. That way you'll know how the whole restaurant is being cleaned. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and so, sorry, and I want a side note question here because I thought of it. I, I realized uh, this week I went to a uh, Sunday brunch with my wife and it was a breakfast buffet at a, at a, at a nice kind of mom-pop restaurant here in town. And I realized uh, I don't like buffets. Is what I is what I came to my realization. I don't I don't want to just serve out of a bucket. I want what I want to order. Yep. It's never the best version of that food. 
and you're it's fighting. Been sitting there it's for been how sitting long? there for how long? And so, yeah. I mean, you know, Chinese buffet, okay, you know, it's its own thing. But uh, I've realized I don't like buffets. So, really quick, Clay, run me down your, your opinions on buffets. I I'm not a fan either. When we were 16, 17 years old, the amount of buffets we used to go run to in between classes in high school was. <laughs> enormous and you would hit all of them it would be a pizza buffet or it'd be a, a chinese buffet yeah. it didn't matter as long as you paid your ten dollars you eat as much as you wanted perfect but at 40 plus I, i'm with you tanner cook what i want comes out hot this is exactly what i wanted thank you very much i'll pay that price so we're not going to a vegas buffet is what you're saying that's different vegas, <laughs> vegas. <laughs> There's always an asterisk, but yeah, okay. Especially after a six-hour session at the poker table. That's right. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I just I was sitting there, and for whatever reason, it just it just clicked, and I was like, I don't like this. What I want to know is, and I'm really excited to hear this asterisk because this, along with the the bottle thing, yeah, I want to know how much food waste is there in restaurants. It's the food waste that comes out, and we try to order as much. So there's par levels for everything, right? So you judge how many plates of uh, alfredo pasta that you're going to be selling in that week so you're going to order that alfredo sauce and that amount of fettuccine because you know you sold x amount the previous year so your forecast sets everything up so by the end of the week you want to finish your week off selling your last place of place plate of pasta and then moving on to your new order coming in the waste that comes out is coming from the tables itself okay mm. Okay, so you got people ordering food, and the amount of food that you're tossing out at the end—that's where the big, big waste comes in. Does it ever? Is it ever shocking to you, like how much food is left about from people? Oh, absolutely. Like, is it and a lot? It's funny too. We have classic example. We had a table of eight high school girls came in. They didn't have school. They all ordered an appetizer. Then they all ordered a meal. Guess how much of that eat that meal that was eaten at the end? <laughs> None of it. Not like almost none. A couple bites, like oh, we shouldn't have ordered that appetizer. Classic example. How many times have we gone somewhere, myself included, ordered an appetizer because I really wanted those uh, pizza bite Ooh, things, and then all of a sudden, mm, yeah. right? You you get your meal at the end. You're like, okay, so I shouldn't have ordered that big large pasta or lasagna or whatever it was. We're getting uh, appetizers in Vegas at that steakhouse, just so you know. That's, Understood. That I, I'll starve myself for 24 <laughs> hours before we head there. So, what's so where we're from? There's like a big water crisis that's happening that people aren't talking about, and the reservoirs are going down. And there's you know, so how do you feel about when like local governments or provincial governments say, "Hey, everybody, don't shower, don't wash your dishes," but restaurants? business as usual like, like I, that just drives me nuts what what do you what what do you, what do you say to that when someone says something to you i think this is just a whole thing that's come back from what happened in covid too how as soon as everything went down with covid whether you're on one side or the other the amount of restaurants that shut down everybody was locked down the amount of restaurants that closed as well was absolutely crazy this water thing i don't know enough about it this just came up 24 hours ago correct so I, I haven't done any research to see where or what the issue was because it's in northern the northern area of uh, of where we are so the area that i'm in all the car washes are closed everything is all shut down that way and 
even me washing dishes today gave me concern. Like, I need to wash these dishes. It's got to be hot water because it's got to be health safe. Yeah. And we have to make sure that these plates are coming out clean because I've still got more people sitting down and eating. Yeah. I feel you. Um, as as a GM of a restaurant, Clay, <laughs> do you also deal meth out of the back like Gus from Breaking Bad? Also, this is part of the club we talked about earlier. <laughs> oh, oh, damn it. it. I knew it there were there. One day I'm going to break that wall down. <laughs> we're going to get in one day. You, uh, uh, do you want to do 11 or do you want to move into the new job? Yeah, I want to know. Okay, so, so this, cause this is our last question about restaurants. What's the worst? Like, what's the worst part of managing people or the best part or both? You know what? The most interesting part, I'll tell you this right now, being in the industry for as long as I have is watching the generations change. From the generation that we are, and then moving on and having the millennials come through, and then moving on and having the Gen Z now picking up the mantle and starting to host and starting to work in the kitchen, you have to be a chameleon and you have to be adaptive as well, dealing with a lot of these different generations. Yes, we can say that uh, they're coddled and they're lazy and everything else, but guess what? The baby boomers said that about us. And it was said about the baby boomers when in the 1950s, every single generation feels that the next generation is just too fucking lazy and can't do their job unless they're whipped. Well, sadly, we can't whip anybody anymore. We have to <laughs> unless you're part, nice of the to unless you're part ask of the secret cabal. Ask them polite. But and that's the biggest thing is just adapting to all these different generations. And when the next generation rolls in, it's how do we get them to perform at the best of their ability and how do we want them to be the best who they are? And then once they're done their six years, we unleash them onto society knowing we did the best we can to mentor them. How young is your youngest employee? My youngest employee is 16. 16. Hmm. Kitchen, obviously, because they can't be in the front of the house if there's alcohol. Host. Host. Okay. Host. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 16 how do you even go about hiring a 16 year old like what do you even what do you even <laughs> what substantive what type of tiktok do you show them what kind of tiktok do you have to look at as a resume now to even see get- this is the best thing being a father with two daughters yeah it makes it so much easier i'll tell you like i've i've got these two daughters that i have basically trained me on how to hire other people. So if they've got any qualities that I can see in my daughters, yeah. then they're instantly on the front of the house. However, if they roll in with headphones and looking like they just came out of the skate park, I turn them around and I say, you go get changed and you come back like you want the job. Yeah. yeah. I've done that twice in the last two weeks. Did you hire them back? They haven't come back yet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that point though. I like that point. So, so um, that's where you are now. That's where now. So let's talk about where you were because yeah. you had like a sp- section in between and you worked for a car dealership. I did. And so I'm going to ask number 12 later, just so you know. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Okay. So I want to know, and I'm dead serious, is being a car salesman the most stressful job maybe ever because you don't know where your income's coming from? Bingo. But everything, every job that I've done has all been commissioned. Like yeah. when you're serving and bartending, you're not working for your paycheck, right? Yeah. So commission as a car salesman, commission in, in the finance office is the same thing, but it's more stressful because if you don't sell that one car in that month, then you go from not eating to eating. You go from 
not paying your mortgage to paying your mortgage. It can be pretty stressful and you've got to grind it out because they rate buying a car in between getting a root canal and getting sued from a lawyer. It's not an exciting situation at all. Oh, man. So, uh, so I mean, let's get into the, the bobs and weasels of it. If why Bobs is it, and weasels, Tanner. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, I've never we, heard that. We have a lot of weasels and the and people bobs. who own them are named Bob. The why? Why is it always that? I guess the GM of the dealership or or the manager, whoever it is, my my car dealer guy, he says, "Oh, okay, yeah, well, oh, if I need that offer, I'll have to go get, I'll have to talk to the boss, or why oh, can we can do that? I'll go to talk to the boss." And then they go, they bring you into the room, and you meet the boss, and he is always a super greedy prick. <laughs> so what's what's the deal? Why is that? Is what's that his deal? Is that an intentional, uh, like methodological? point of what they're doing or is it, are they just always pricks here's a question for you all of the cars that are on lots do you think that they own every single one of those units i have no idea i have how no idea ships work no idea whatsoever they don't every single one of those units are financed from the bank by the dealerships they oh. do not have the amount of capital to put every single unit on that lot so they don't own those units So every time, every day that a unit sits on a lot, it costs them more money. Interesting. And everything that they give away costs them more money. So when they're trying to put lights on and when they're trying to pay, and you've gone to a dealership and you see the amount of employees that they house there, the more money is not made selling cars. All the money in a dealership is made in the back end. It's in the service. It's in the body shop. It's mm-hmm. building a relationship with you so that you go back to that car dealership and you get your oil changed there. You get the dent knocked out there. You get your car, your tires changed there. They want to build up that relationship. So they're not holding a whole lot of gross on a car. They're trying to just get the car down the street so that that relationship's built and then you come back. However, you're not wrong, Tanner. There is a lot of cocks out there that... <laughs> Don't, don't know how to build relationships. They just, you know, want to be the big top dog and they're going to roll in and bully their way to a sale instead of building relationship. So when someone works on commission, is there any base salary whatsoever? None. None. They're just None. there taking up So space. they could hire as many employees as they wanted and it's up to them. Like, but, oh, wow. Oh, sure. But it's, it's a representation of your dealership, right? It's the same thing. It's the same culture. It's the service industry, right? Whether you're selling a $50,000 car or a $5 drink, you've got to have the right people in place because you're selling the dealership. The person that you put in front of that person, it's all about what the guest wants and what can I do for the guest to make sure they leave that restaurant, that dealership, or whatever service industry it is happy and if you're not working towards that having the guest leave with a smile on their face then you're failing right off the bat Hmm. so right now the interest rates are insanity gross so are like all these guys are they gotta be starving right now no fighting but guess what with all these interest rates as high as they are that's where the new car sales have gone completely in the mud the used car sales over the last three years have gone through the roof. Everybody's buying a used car. And whether it's a two, three, four, five-year-old car, you're getting a similar interest rate as a new car. 
So why are you spending top dollar for a brand new vehicle hmm. when you can get a three-year-old vehicle with 60,000 kilometers on it and still pay a similar interest rate? Is there is there a kilometer number you see on a used car that as soon as you see that number, you're like, there's no way I'll buy that car? Over 100. Anything over 100. Anything over 100, Even really? for like a, like a, a diesel engine. Uh, I, you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't buy a diesel. I don't need a diesel for anything. Like, look at me. I drive a little car. I'm not pulling anything. I don't need to show how big my cock is. Like, it doesn't matter. But how else will people know? Well, you're right. I should just yeah. raise it up by 10 inches, At least too, by 10. That's average. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 10 is average. No, but yeah. in all honesty, I, I would need diesel for anything. The only way if you look at, like, the little cars that have the diesel engines. But if you're going to go that way, you may as well buy an electric car. Don't do that. Don't buy an electric car. Don't buy. I've done it. I've done it, and after, just don't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So if you if you bring interest into it, how much how much wiggle room do dealerships have really have on a car? Like, just to make it flat and easy, we'll say fifty thousand dollars is the price of the car. Like, in general, how much wiggle room in are we general, actually talking about? <laughs> When you see these rebates, like you look now and you're listening, especially when the end of the year comes and you see $14,000 off a Dodge Ram, $16,000 off a Ford, that's not a markup from the dealership. That money comes straight from factory and head office in in, in Toronto or New York or or wherever that is. So that's not the money that's sitting there. Traditionally, you're going to have between three dollars and $5,000 markup on a vehicle depending on the amount of vehicle. If you're buying a $20,000 car, you may see two to $3,000. $50,000 car, around that five to $6,000 area. Hmm. It's it's not a ton. But then once you start rolling in some of the little things like uh, the commission that's got to come out of that, and then, okay, we're going to pay for this, and then we're going to put this in there, that all tax into the actual gross of the vehicle. So give us an example of what a commission would be on a sold vehicle? When I was in the industry, it was 20, 20 to 25%. And that was good. So if you sold 10 cars and you're making 20, 20% on your commission, then you could potentially walk away, what, $4,000, $5,000? Per car? Nope. And if you sell 10 cars? Oh, okay. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's some people who sell, like, they, they don't cap it. Like, there's some people that sell more than 10 cars in a month. Oh, no, no. They're not going to say, hey, stop selling cars. <laughs> yeah. But they don't, <laughs> no, they, no don't they don't cap their commission, though, is what I'm saying. No. Okay. No. Some, like, some dealerships would, but then why would that motivate you to sell number 11 yeah. or number 21? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? So then if we're, if we're talking about the add-ons and that kind of stuff... What what car options are good to get when you're buying a new vehicle, and which ones are bullshit? <laughs> yeah, wait. It's um, I buy warranty with every single vehicle that I've ever bought. Really? Every single one. Why? Why do you? Why? Clay? Because I've seen how many vehicles come through the service area with problems after the three years. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, okay, so now what? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, that engine is going to cost you $5,000. Whoops. Uh, little things like a transmission or it could be a computer system. All of these cars now are all done with computers. You have a chip that goes out in your computer system that's going to cost you $6,000 to fix. 
I'm sorry, if I know I'm keeping my vehicle for five years, warranty is going to be on that vehicle for five years. Interesting. Interesting. And what, anything else? What about the other stuff? Do I want like yeah, rust protection? Undercoating? Like, is undercoat? that bullshit? I, you know what? It's, it is what it is. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> like the undercoat because it's supposed to make it a quiet ride. Um, it's very personally dependent. It's not something that I would choose to put on my vehicle. You're talking to us like you still yeah, work I, there. I, I feel like we're getting close to the secret we're try- car we salesman cabal. Like Let- I feel like we're getting too close to the, the car salesman cabal now. Let us in. <laughs> pull, pull back <laughs> that curtain. We're all over the place. <laughs> I still have my membership key. You go and you go buy a car today. It, this is like a magician showing another magician tricks. Like what do you... What I already do, told you what I put on my car. Yeah, so you put it on, but like, what do you say when you're trying to deal? Like, are you trying to get like oil changes? Are you trying to get like winter tires? Are you like what? Like, what are you saying? I've already negotiated price before I go in there. This is what I'm willing to pay. I, I the last car I bought, I did all online via email and text. And okay. I had the price that I wanted negotiated, and I had the warranty that I wanted negotiated. All I had to do was go in and sign the papers. How do you know what to price all those things out at? before you went you throw it at the wall and see if it fits right now because it's been how long has it been since i've been in the industry it was seven eight years maybe no we got to think uh thir- 10 years 11 oh, years okay so so that's a decade of things that have changed in that industry what they have markup in now i may not know but i knew what the cost of things were back then yeah. So if I said, okay, I'm willing to buy this at this price, it's fair because you're still going to make money on it and I'm not here to steal any money from anybody. However, I just want to walk away with a fair deal. Mm-hmm. Is that acceptable? No problem. Great. Interesting. And you did most of that online? I did. Interesting. Clay, is leasing bullshit? Uh, I leased my last two vehicles. Yeah. The reason why you want to lease are one of two different reasons. If you own a company and you can write off your payments, lease your vehicle every two years, get a new vehicle every two years because you're getting that money back at the end of the year from the government or bringing down how much you made. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can write it off. Okay. If you want to be the person that gets into a new vehicle every two years, lease the vehicle because you're going to be in payments anyway. Yeah. It's kind of like so you may as well make your payments, hand the keys back in two years, drive away in a new car for two years, and keep that going. It's kind of like buying Those cell are the phones only two nowadays. Options. Hey? Hmm? It's kind of like buying cell phones nowadays. The same thing with cars nowadays. Except you're reselling your cell phone, and it's going to not depreciate as much as your vehicle will in two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the other the other side of the coin there is if 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 it's not one of those two hard reasons, buy it. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah. If you're going to stay in that vehicle for over five years, then it doesn't make sense leasing it unless the third option is you get a good residual. So if your residual, the percentage of the vehicle that you're guaranteed to buy out at the end of the three years, you know is going to be lower than what the market value is, then you're buying your own vehicle for a lower price than what that vehicle should be. But no one can just or guess what that future is going to be. Hmm. So that's a gamble in its own sense. Clayton, are are used car salesmen required to have bad mustaches? Absolutely. I was working on mine for the longest time. But, oh, that was Movember that made me oh. wear a mustache. <laughs> I'm just wondering if that was a prerequisite. 
So since you just did this and you, you said you did it online, is there is there like is there throw-ins or freebies that I should always try to get included when I make a deal for a vehicle? Oh, I think you should try for everything. If you're not trying, then do, but what what's do even it? on the table? Because sometimes we don't even know what's on the yeah, table. Yeah, it's hard to ask if you don't know what's. Well, and, and, and that's a great question. If you're going to ask for, you know, I want four brand new tires. Well, tires right now are between five thousand or five hundred and thousand dollars a corner. So you're talking between, you know, two thousand and five thousand dollars total. There's yeah. no way they're going to throw in brand new tires or winter tires for you, yeah. but they may help you out and say, okay, we'll give you a cost plus 10% on our tires. And I think that's where you start negotiating because you want them to have a win, right? You're not going to say throw in these $5,000 tires. You're going to say, Hey, if I buy my tires here, will you give me cost plus 10%? I think that's a good negotiating play. Hmm. That's interesting. Okay. I got two with two out of four winter tires comps, you if go. you will. To get 50, yeah. 50%. 50%. Because there's four. Yeah. yeah. So two is half. Yeah, that is what it is. Yeah, 50%. Thank you. Thank you. Your math is specific. Well, I'm still trying to figure out that initial uh, ounces to liters we were talking about with the booze. That's <laughs> Clay, my page looks terrible. Okay, we're going to ask you to peel down the layers to its rawest form. It gets. This is where it gets intense. Clay. You are you were the car salesman 10 years ago. What was your biggest, tell me about your biggest like sucker moment after you sold a car. Go. There isn't one. Get off. Oh, Jog on. We're, we're back in here. I was also that guy that gave the people the numbers and sent them away. Go home and think about it. It was always that guy. Why Why? Why that way and not the gotcha way? Because I'm not that type of person either. Yeah. Right? I send people away because I want to make sure that they're happy with what they're doing, with what they're choosing. If they decide to go and take that number somewhere else, they weren't worth it to me anyway. Yeah. Who, who who you would, I guess, at the end of the day, more often than not, come out on top? Someone like you, who's generally trying to get people what they need, or the, the Slimo? A great question. I think that how long are you going to be in the industry? Because if I would have stayed in the industry for my whole career, I think that I would have had a lot more people coming back to see me than somebody that was sticking it to every single person that walks through the door. That's yeah, fair. That's a fair You're not going to send your daughter to that person. You're not going to send your grandmother to that person. Whereas I had repeat people all the time because they knew I treated them fairly and I gave them the options that they wanted. To be fair, we don't want grandma to drive. No, yeah, definitely. no, people shouldn't drive anymore. No, that's that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> why, why, are you, why are you driving? Clayton, thank you for telling us about those two fields. Do you have any other questions about the dealership industry? Because I'm going to go to this next thing if you don't. Well, the next thing is the really is why I'm here. Okay. Because this is the really, really important question. Okay, we got a couple here. Now, Clayton, you are... Uh, a, a not a not even a closet. You're you're an outward fan of the Dave Matthews Band. Outward fan. <laughs> He's very outspoken about being loving the Dave Matthews Band. Is that correct? This is correct. This is this is not a falsehood. This is not uh, something you wrote in, wrote, read in the gossip papers at all. This is this is truth. Why do you like this band? There's something about. The music, the beat, and the way that he has his lyrics that are so completely fucked up, but just fits in the same way. And then when you go to a concert and you see and hear everything around you, it sucks you in like a sponge. And all of a sudden it becomes part of you. And then the next time you hear that song, 
it takes you back to those moments when you're sitting on the side of that grassy hill in the middle of the state of Washington at the gorge. And you're just like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. When I saw him at Vegas and he did a acoustic set for three straight nights, three hours each, all different songs. It's just, it's mesmerizing how talented he is. But then when you have everybody in the crowd that is singing the same songs and dancing and smiling and enjoying themselves like they are, it's euphoric. It's just something that brings you into this, this place that as soon as you hear that song again, you think back to those times and those memories and those feelings and it's addicting. Am, am I an asshole for only knowing ants marching? Not even a little bit. <laughs> Don't drink the water. I literally know no other. No, wait, wait. What would you say? That's the only other one I know that he, these things. So I'm, Dave I'm, I'm, Matthews. Yeah. <laughs> now this guy, if you think about it, he's got fans all over. However, he said a quote the other day, which I had to chuckle about. He goes, we don't have millions and millions of fans. We've got 35,000 fans that travel and see us every single weekend at every single stop. The guy tours everywhere and has been touring since 1994. Yeah. He goes and he is the most touring band of all time right now. Would you say? His stops. Go ahead. Go ahead. His stops include, he does 30 tour stops in the summer. Most of those are two to three nights each. And then he heads to Europe and he hits 20 more stops. Next week, he's going to be in Mexico that he does a, every February, he does a concert on the beach for three nights and Cancun. And then he goes back on the road and then he starts his spring tour and then goes back into the summer tour again. It's all year round. Phenomenal. Wow. When's the last time you saw him? Last time I saw him, we were supposed to go and then COVID hit in Vancouver. So the last time I saw him would have been Chicago after my divorce. Oh, okay. So a while ago. It's been a while ago. I went solo to that all by myself. Spectacular. Fuck it, Abe. It was probably the best thing ever. So It was so cool. So Clay, so Dave Matthews. Yes. 1990 working in a bartender in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yes. His friend is a lawyer, Ron Hoffman. He introduces him to Carter Buford, uh, right. and away they go, right? Uh, yep. And they start off from there. Uh, uh, 1994, the first big one, Under the Table. Uh, under the Table and Dreaming. Under the Table and Dreaming. 25 million concert tickets sold. I think back in like 2018 was the first check. Uh, won the Grammy in 96 for uh, So Much to Say, I believe. Yep. I say these things because I want you to know that is coming from a source. I hate Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> and that is completely fair. <laughs> I, 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 I despise him with, uh, <laughs> I despise him with the same passion that you enjoy him is how I'm going to put it. And that's, you know what? You can't expect people to love absolutely everything. True. Yeah. There's, I think that I've grown a more liking to a lot of the different genres of music out there. But at one point in my life, what you're saying about Dave is how I felt about country music. I still oh, feel him. I still yeah. feel about that. Corbin talks music. shit about country all the time. Oh. <laughs> Why does he sound like that, by the way? 
Dave Matthews. <laughs> is it? J- what you, is is? What would you say? Is he rock? Is he jazz? What is he? Is he folk rock? Oh, man, he's he's got all of the genres from bluegrass to rock to jazz to country to to folk. A little like, bit of shit it's, in there, yeah. <laughs> all rolled into one big joint. Is he is he more like a rock version of Jack Johnson? I'll tell you a story. He discovered Jack Johnson on the side of Get the out. beach in California. Get out. Yeah. He was going there for a concert. Jack Johnson was playing. He stopped to listen to him and said, here's my number. Call me. You're going to be big. That's a pretty I cool story. I didn't know that. That's interesting, yeah. Do you hate him now, asshole? Yeah, I still do. Oh. Yeah, because <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have had to listen to fucking Jack Johnson either if he just shut up and stayed in his lane. What are your top three Dave Matthews songs? Three to one. Uh, three to one. Big Eyed Fish. Bartender. Oh, wow. And Crush. Okay. Okay. And would it offend you if I told you I've never heard of any of those songs? <laughs> Not even a little bit. Oh. No, like, there's a lot of those songs. And he did he did a version of Ryan Whiskey that is one of the best versions I've ever heard. It's if you look that up, it's just he starts it so eloquently, and then it's just such a cool song that yeah. if you've heard the original, the way that he pulls it off is just awesome. I was in the crowd in at the Gorge when he played that, and I was like, this is the coolest song of all time. Well, I, I, I don't want I, – because I, I support people in liking things, and I'm happy to like things. So I'm not going to shit too much on it, uh, even though he's a scummy, terrible band. But I'm glad, uh, you, you, glad, you, I'm glad you have a thing. That, that leads into one of the reasons we're here, and one of the reasons we do what we do on this podcast is we – everyone, even in the jobs that you did as, as selling cars and, and running restaurants – your job can be shit. It can be tough. Uh, and one of the things we like to talk to people about is their their journey through that shitty toughness, more so, and, and the things they do to cope. So, uh, you know, what what helps you cope? Kind of tell us that, that journey of your, whether through mental health or through just fighting regular stress or what it's been through that through that career. I know you spoke about a divorce in there, but what, you know, what do you do now to cope to kind of to get through those times? And you can't you can't say listen to Dave Matthews because that'll just make you mad. Internally. Yeah, I, I I have a bath. I put candles on and I throw some Dave on. <laughs> take take me away, David. <laughs> uh, it, coping, I think, is different for absolutely everybody. And whether you're the type of person that needs to go for a run to to help cope with the times when you're feeling like you're the walls are coming in on you and it, everything's too dark you don't want to go outside or you don't want to leave your couch or heaven forbid somebody fucking phones you it's just like those are the types of things and and fighting the battle through mental health is it's an ongoing thing it changes daily on how you react to it and how you deal with it but it's having those outlets and those little things that you do to remind yourself that whatever's happening right now is only going to last. So just hold on and then you'll get through it. I've been dealing with mental health for a very long time as Corbin knows. And the problem with my mental health, I had 12 concussions. So it didn't come from a, a PTSD or, or seeing 
something bad like in a, a police officer or a a firefighter or somebody that was over in a war across the ocean this was you know it's the the physical banging of the head against everything including the ice but i had no idea of a lot of the things that i was dealing with because as i grew older i would mask it in in many different ways uh, being in the service industry, you're going to go out and and have your cocktails and have your drinks, and then you're going to go to sleep and wake up and do it all again. And then next thing you know, it's five years later. But then something wakes you up to that being like, hey, you've got something else going on and you need to find somebody to talk to about this. And when I was first approached about that, of course, I was in denial. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm not depressed. This is, there's no such thing. I'm, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. But then all of a sudden, you start to take away the thing that masked all of those feelings. And all of a sudden, you're in that deep, dark hole looking up saying, what the fuck happened to my life? it's a tough battle to go through and it's, it, it was a grind. And have I, have I won? Absolutely not, but I'm still here today. And that's a big win in itself. You know, what, there's not one thing that I do except look at my daughters, do everything I can for them because that's the joy I need to help pull me out of whatever rut or whatever hole I'm in. For me, that's my, that's my escape. That's my support. And that's my help to get me out of that little funk, that little darkness and that cloud that's hovering. Do you find yourself um, more, because as, as we deal with depression or, or mental health, the longer we deal with it, the, the, for me anyway, the, the more I'm aware of when a bad stretch is coming. Do you, do you find that? This is the biggest thing, 100%, because back in the day, we didn't have any awareness. Just we were all of a sudden feeling like shit or didn't want to do anything, but we had no idea because we were also uneducated too. Yeah. Now you think about what we've learned over the last decade compared to where we were 30 years ago, hell, 20 years ago. Like it's night and day what we know now and the fact that we're talking about it. And I've done my own podcast series on this as well and i have no problem talking about it i'm a 20-year movember activist talking about mental health is one of the most important things because if you're not talking about it then that person that doesn't know that they're in that rut doesn't know a that it's okay to talk about and b that that's what they're feeling right now and that's the biggest thing and what what kind of got you to the point and, and corbin jump in on this too when as you said, you, you start to realize when the moments are coming. Do you remember when you first were there, when, when that realization first kicked in and you said, okay, well, hold on. This, you know, this is happening just because it happens. It's not because it's something I'm doing or not doing. But like, was there, do you remember that moment where you kind of started to have that realization of what that depression pull actually is, um, kind of what that looked like for you? It, I had to have the conversation. It's I had no idea until I started talking to somebody about it because 
the person I was talking to started asking me questions like, what do you feel when this happens or what happens at this point or whatever questions they're asking because they're pulling stuff out of you. And then they're so like, they got a doctorate in it. So they know what the hell they're talking about, but they know how to pull things out of you that you had no idea was deep inside you until you got to that point. And it was after the divorce that, you know, I obviously really hit rock bottom at that point in time. And then being able to find my way out of that hole was because I had, you know, support of the friends and family around me, but also had the words from the people that were helping me and helping me acknowledge what the hell I was feeling and what the hell I was dealing with and going through. But when you talk about Corbin's point of when you feel that darkness coming on, sometimes you just have to jump in and ride that wave right through the storm because now I know and how cliche is that the sun's always going to be out behind that storm because it, it truly is these things they don't last forever you just need to get through that you know it could be a couple hours it could be 24 hours as long as you're through that then you keep going and we're the type of people in the service industry or, or who we are in our generation. This is where the term, the masks come on because we put the mask on we go out there, we do our job. We go out there with a smile on our face when we're inside hurting and not caring. Right. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it. I'm going to ask you a question. I've never asked you before. Okay. Are you, you're you're first off you're aware of your mental health situation now than you were 10 years ago would you say you're better off because of the divorce or would you were you would you have been worse off that's an amazing question such a loaded one in that aspect because you look back and my ex and i we had a good run but we were not meant for each other so we were we were that pair that made something, made two beautiful things together. And if it wasn't for meeting her, I wouldn't have those two monkeys with me. And a short answer, the divorce was necessary. There's yeah. no way that we would have been going 20 years strong because I don't think that she was able to be the supportive one to help me get through it she's you know she's a wonderful mother to my kids but she was not the partner that i needed to help me navigate what the hell's going through my head do you talk about mental health with your kids absolutely yeah it's an easy conversation because they especially when november rolls around yeah you know the the podcast that i had the the podcast i listened to the the motivational things that i have i don't hide it at all and i don't think you need to um what worries me is how it's being used as a crutch for a lot of people out there because that really dumbs down for lack of a better term what people that truly deal with mental health are going through. Um, a classic example, I'm going to bring this up, and Tanner, I'm not sure how big of a sports fan you are. No, he's not. Well, okay. but I'm willing to listen. Oh, I could tell you about sports. <laughs> so anyway, it just when I say the team's name, just think of it as a corporation, okay? So 
just recently found out about the five um, Canadian hockey players that are now going through this uh, sexual assault case. All five of these players at one point in time were in the NHL. Four of them currently in the NHL and three of the four teams had to set out press releases saying that the players were no longer on the team and they had to take a leave of absence to deal with something personal or something to that effect. One of the teams came out and said that the guy is taking a mental health break. And when everybody knew what was going on, yet they they took the road of saying that this guy's going on a mental health break when everybody knew that he was going to be charged for sexual assault. So basically, you know, using it as a, a, a Band-Aid or a fix or, or starting to throw that, that coat of paint over it that all of us deal with or many of us deal with out there kind of pisses me off in a sense. That's a because, great point. That's yeah. a great point. I never thought of that when I first read that because I read that and I'm like, oh, but I didn't know what was going on when I saw that press release. Yeah. And they were there banking on you not knowing. Yeah, that's what they were probably banking on. You know, and they're trying to brush it under the rug. Just another thing. Oh, don't worry about it. But guess what? It, it, this was not a mental health thing. You know, for all of us that do suffer from depression and we fight the battles every single fucking day, for them to put that coat of paint on it really hit me hard. Yeah, because not only do they hide behind it, it's still putting some type of stigma on people who actually deal with depression because they're telling the general public, oh, well, these guys, yeah, they're, they're going to get charged sexual assault, but they, they have mental health problems, right? Because now that, yeah. intentional or not, that stigma begins to get painted. Well, especially now because they're celebrities and what everybody thinks, what celebrities do, celebrity does, is that's, that's the holy grail right there, mm-hmm. right? Every, that's, that's, that's the new that's religion. Verse. Yeah, exactly. So let me ask you, because you brought it up a couple times, uh, Movember. Just for the people who don't, I guess, realize the actual point of what Movember is, just not having a silly mustache. Uh, Yeah, what what does that mean in general, and what does it mean to you? Uh, Movember, when it first started, it was all about uh, the fun of, hey, let's grow a mustache and go from there. We're talking 20 years now. So this started out in Australia. A, A couple of friends were in Australia, and they started to say, we're going to grow a mustache because we wanted to talk about prostate cancer because they had a friend that passed from prostate cancer. And that's where it began. And then they brought in testicular cancer because obviously the cancers go one and one for men and men's health. And that's where this all stemmed from so long ago. But then they started doing some research with all of the attention that they were getting and the amount of suicides that happened with men the numbers that they saw was just astronomical. So they brought in mental health awareness with Movember to be coupled with the testicular cancer and the prostate cancer because men's mental health is such a huge thing because we all suffer in silence and we never talked about it. And the suicide rate for men our age was just going through the roof. So I think it's extremely important that this is part of the thing that we that we talk about. Yes, please get your testicles checked. Yes, please go get a prostate exam. But yes, please talk to a friend, talk to a buddy that you haven't heard from in years because you don't know how they're doing. They could be in that deep, dark hole and just hearing your voice could start to show the light a little bit. Well, yeah, I, I really appreciate you kind of walking through that. That's kind of the point that 
I don't know. Corbin and I like to do with this. Have my barrage of text messages annoyed the fuck out of you over lately? Like, have, like <laughs> or are you just happy to talk right now? <laughs> you know what I love is, and I'm going to bring this up. But we all know Corbin is a baseball fan. We all know Corbin yeah. is a football fan. Yeah. We mm-hmm. all know Corbin is a basketball fan. Yeah. These are all, all different sports. Corbin was not a hockey fan. No. However, I appreciate the texts I get about hockey because they're inquisitive to a point where you actually give a shit about asking the questions. You're not asking the questions just to build a relationship with me. You're asking the questions because you're like, what's going on with this? I don't understand this rule. Why the fuck did they just do that? Why are they hiring this person? How come they pulled that goalie? Yeah. And it's great. And you know what? Text away. That's why I got free texts. All right. All right, I'm going to ask you a couple fun questions now to finish this off. Okay. Love it. We're going to talk. Okay. I want you to rank these five matches. <laughs> okay. Sean versus Triple H, SummerSlam 2002. Okay. Sean's return. Steamboat Savage. Yeah. Austin Hart, WrestleMania 13. Yeah. Taker Sean, WrestleMania 25. Was that uh, the second one? That was the, the second one? one. That was the second one. Thank you. And then Rock Hogan, WrestleMania 18. Now, for the the layman out there, what, yeah. what these two gentlemen are talking about yeah. is there's an English setter competition in New England every year. <laughs> and it's it really gets in. And why, why they like this competition is that it really gets in to not just the agility of the animal, but the actual, like, the coat and the maintenance. <laughs> what the fuck um, are you talking about? Is that not what we're, that, That's not what we're talking oh, about? Oh, sorry. Okay, go no. ahead. Let's continue. All right. Okay, rank them. Go. Um, five to one. Five to one. Uh, Cena Triple H five. Liked it, but not as much as the other four. Okay. Taker HBK because of the story over two full years, the return yeah, match, that's, everything that's about true. it, the colors. It's a good one. Love that. Yeah. Uh, Rock Hogan 3. Okay. Rock Hogan 3 because... That crowd was nuts, hey? The thing was, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Yeah. They were so confused. It was supposed to be the Rock was the baby face. Uh, Hogan comes in as the asshole NWO. But then the Toronto crowd turns... Just flipped it. They flipped the script on the WWE and they didn't know what to do with it. But that crowd made that match. Yeah, that's true. And that's both The Rock and both Hogan ate into that whole thing. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Austin Hart, because the pure Fuck, that was grit good. of the whole story, it was epic. And Hart is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Yeah. So that, but Savage. Steamboat. Steamboat. All these years later. Because that was the match that hooked me. That was WrestleMania three. That's how long ago that it was. That was the one that said, wow, this was magical. Yeah, I was, was just good. hating Savage, and Steamboat had to go and be victorious over him, and Savage was such a dick, and it was just, <laughs> yeah. I had someone uh, who listened to our uh, our second podcast. We, we touched on this. Say to me, um, you know wrestling's fake, right? And I'm like, yes, I know, I know wrestling's <laughs> fake. Thanks, however, <laughs> However... That movie you're watching, that book you're reading, 
Yep. It's not real either. So Pro- professional l- wrestling, the fuck up. Professional wrestling is the soap opera for adults who don't like soap operas. I'm just going to say mine was Sean Triple H SummerSlam 2002 because it would, that that I don't know that, that was, was number one. that was number my number one. Yeah, it's awesome. But I, Steamboat Savage is right there. I liked uh, Cuddly Clipper because oh, he did the obstacle course in under two either. minutes. Under two minutes? Yeah, That's like, unheard of. Well, it was a big deal, right? And, you know, the crowd really was against him. And I think a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of his match came from the, the crowd as they pushed. Do I make fun of your Dungeons and Dragons? We haven't really got into it yet. Well, I'm I, sure you, you know will. What? Now I'm going to. <laughs> I know, I, I know you will. Now it's on. Uh, <laughs> Tatter, that's one thing that I would love to get into is Dungeons and Dragons. I would love to sit down and go through a played session of that, be guided through a game because I think that that is just involving a whole different world, a whole different imagination, and I think that's pretty spectacular. We uh, we will we will, Corbin, we will we have will. <laughs> a D episode where we really kind of get into the nitty gritty. Uh, yeah, because it's it's great, and I love it as much as you guys love uh, sports, the, the wrestling, which is not is not real. You guys, you fucking losers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Captain America is real. Yeah, just, Captain you know, America is real. Uh, well, yeah. Dave Matthews Benson. Gone, Gone Girl is okay. a fake book, just so yeah. you guys know. Ladies, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all made up. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I got to say, I I really, really appreciate the candor uh, up until the point of you not revealing the cabal's true nature of the restaurant and uh, vehicle sales industry. But it was really nice to get to talk to you, Clay. You, you're a champion for these two industries because you were not bending. You yeah, just, like you didn't give. I don't think you give it up. You didn't give at all. We were gonna. We were gonna pry. Well, you guys don't see in the screen. There's actually a gun. <laughs> there's some guy from the kitchen. You're reading a cue and, card right uh, now. <laughs> I just want to stay alive for the next 24 hours. Okay. okay, so we're going to Vegas in a week. We're going to Vegas. Give me your top three things you're looking forward to. Don't lie. Go. Oilers, Vegas, win number 17. That's the same thing. Yeah, all that's, three. That's number one. And two and three. And three. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to some nice food. I'm looking forward to some throwing some dice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, yeah, playing some craps. That's what I'm looking forward to. And you, audience, can look forward to wonderful video updates from both Corbin and maybe a secret uh, attendance from everybody's favorite Clayton on the social medias. Maybe. We'll see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some videos this trip. Yeah. Maybe we'll put them on there. We're gonna. Uh, we talked about it. We'll yeah, get it on we'll, there. We'll figure it out. It confirmed. Clayton, thank confirmed. you so much for joining us. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you've been great, and thank you for letting us question you. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, you, you've been but, awesome. You know what? And uh, just give me two more seconds here, you guys. Thank you for what you do as well. And like I had mentioned before, I did my own run of a bunch of solo podcasts talking about mental health and things to that effect. And the way that you guys come together and bring fun, energetic, and lively conversation to a topic that is so important to a lot of people out there, it's very, very much appreciated. You guys are killing it, so my hat's off to you guys. Flattering. Thank That's you very awesome. Much. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, we try to make it fun, but 
We should still talk about it. We should still talk Absolutely. about it. Yeah. No, we uh, look forward to it. Hopefully, uh, we'll have uh, again, and then maybe that time we can get a little, maybe in person, so no one can hold a gun against your head, so we can actually get the secrets out of you. <laughs> so, so you guys can hold the gun? Yeah, yeah so Tell we can hold it. That's right. We will, we will have it. We're going to play Dave Matthews Band the whole time until you answer our questions, because it's torture. That's, that's torture for us. That would be Terrible your torture, Tanner. Band. What is the, well, who, do you, who don't you like musically? Dave Matthews Band? No, I know you don't oh, like sorry. Dave Matthews that's Band. Me. Yeah. Who don't you like? I couldn't think of something off the top of my Jesus, head. He won't even go. No, I know. Music. I, he looked. I saw he looked to the right. He looked to the gun yeah, guy. He looked and to the and gun the guy. Like, you will say nobody. Said, that gun, I tell you. Is Dave Matthews holding the gun against you right now? Is that what it is? Is that why you said you liked it? Uh, you. Is he arrogant no, for saying Dave Matthews Band like he can't name the other guys or have a generic name? <laughs> a ballroom a music. I have a problem with ballroom music. <laughs> Oh, well, that's just uh, one step, two step our so way through. so arrogant. I'm yeah. Dave Matthews Band. You will say that will be our name, damn it. Yeah. No, uh, it was it was great. Thank you all for listening. And I and thank you. <laughs> Gordon, where can they find us? Guys, check us out on Apathy Podcast on Twitter slash X. You can find us at Radical Apathy Podcast on Facebook. We'll be on threads eventually if people still use that. I don't know. Uh, we'll be posting some fun Vegas videos on Facebook. It'll be awesome. And yeah. then you can check us out all the well, – you're listening. You know where to find us. I mean, yeah. we're, we're into it by now. If you're listening, you're Google, listening. Google, Spotify, Apple, Amazon Podcasts. Big shout-out to Clayton. Thank you so much for Thank being here, so sir. Thank you so much. And uh, we love you all. Hope you have a good night. And that's it. Thank Thanks, you. guys.